there, Bill. How are you doing today? Hey, Robin. Happy May. Good to see you again, man. I'm good. How are you? Oh, it's been too long. I missed you last week. But oh, I understand I you are exploring the annals of a trade show, doing something that we yeah. haven't done in many a moon since COVID descended. Yes. Where were you? Robin, I had the opportunity to go to the RSA conference in San Francisco. Ooh, yeah. RSA. So, by the way, RSA, industry established. Loads of people know what RSA is, but let's start at the base. If you never stepped into the world of security before, who are RSA? What do they do? What is this? Well, I don't know how far back you want me to go, Robin, but I know just enough to even to tell you that it was Rivest, Shamir, and Adelman, right, that that created a, a very important encryption algorithm that we use all the time today. Now, of course, RSA has blossomed into a company. They've been under several different uh, modes of ownership, but the conference continues, and it really is recognized as one of the premier cybersecurity conferences. So, Robin, I think we had to have somewhere close to 50,000 attendees. I mean, it was massive. It's an entire city within a city. That sounds good. And yeah. everybody was siloed, I guess, you know, like good cybersecurity, multiple <laughs> layers. <laughs> now, 50,000 people. I mean, it's yeah. been a long time since I've been to a gathering of that many people. How, how did it feel? Yeah, it's true. You know, it, it did feel a little bit unique, Robin. It's been such a long time, as you said, since we've done that. And, I, you know, I guess if there was anything that surprised me, it's that um, maybe some of the cautions that we've seen in the past around uh, communicable um, viruses and so forth, uh, they weren't really there. In fact, funny story, I, I noticed that the moment I stepped foot into San Francisco, um, my uh, my device immediately alerted me that it could track my location and let me know if I've been near anybody that's been exposed to COVID. So, of course, as a cybersecurity person, I just blindly hit accept on everything. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, really, really interesting to, to kind of be in that scenario. You know, I, I have to give a shout out to the folks who ran the RSA conference they really did a great job, right? They they really made sure that everybody who attended was provided for. They they made for a great, uh, safe environment in the city. Uh, so I, I think in general, there was a real mood of optimism, Robin. So despite it feeling a little bit unusual for so many people being together, I think there was almost a sense of humanitarian relief, right? Oh. We're back together. We're organic again. Uh, and that that part of it was <laughs> it was quite delightful. That sounds wonderful. And that's something yeah. that a lot of people have missed and craved. You know, security can often be seen as a very insular practice. Because you don't want to share any information with other people because every single thing you share can and will be used against you. Sure. But humans inherently are social creatures. So being they able are. to find your tribe and circulate with like-minded individuals, it's, it's kind of needed. So That's right. What exactly were you doing at RSA? Well, you know, but before I tell you what I was doing, uh, th there's one thing that you just brought up, and, and uh, uh, I love it because you actually made a post about it on social media prior to the event. And that is that being social creatures, we tend to have this habit of posting on social media. And listen, you and I can have a debate all day as to whether social media actually <laughs> is social. But, uh, you know, the, the, the funny thing was the, the number of people who made sure that they posted on their personal feeds, hey, look, I'm going to San Francisco. And uh, Robin, I just loved the fact that you put a post out there that said, look, if you're going, you know, 
spare us the grief mm -hmm. of alerting all of the physical threat actors of letting them know that you're not going to be home for a while. So uh, again, mm -hmm. I think we have to, as cyber professionals, we have to get used to this organic aspect of, of being social again and, and how to be secure. But uh, Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll expand on that one for people who weren't aware. Telling people where you are is always a bad choice. So if I say I am in Florida meeting customers and you share a nice picture of you and a boardroom full of people, you might just be thinking that this is an innocent share. You want to promote yourself. But in reality, what you are doing is exposing everybody in that room. You are telling the Internet, the world, a public forum that you are at a certain place. So if somebody deems you or somebody wants to deem you harm, they know exactly where you are and your personal assets, your organization, your loved ones, they can be seen as vulnerable. Heck, right. Even as simple as, oh, I know you're in Florida today. I know you're not in Florida right now, Bill. This is <laughs> You're in Florida. So I can then call your company, say, oh, hi, I'm Bill's secretary. He's in Florida at the moment. And that amount of informed consent can be used to socially engineer or exploit you. And That's in right. many situations, it can be used to extort. And if I see that somebody else is in the room and your face is there, I can use very simple open source intelligence to see where you are, what you're doing, and suddenly your social media glory post has just jeopardized everybody there. <laughs> so true. Uh, you know, it, it even goes deeper rant. than that. Uh, just just simple photographs. And and uh, look, I, I, I know probably a lot of our audience knows this, but for those that don't, even simple photographs can be dangerous with your smartphone because of the exif data. So mm -hmm. I don't care if you're just taking a picture of a squirrel on a sidewalk. The fact that your GPS coordinates could be embedded in there, the fact that the image will give information about your device. Robin, the world is fraught with danger. Indeed. <laughs> so Everything you do can and will be used against you. That's and right. Maybe we are paranoid practitioners, but the more you know about security, the more you distrust the world. 100%. So if you're in an event with 50,000 people, yeah. what were you doing? Were you going around with a skimmer taking contactless payments <laughs> from everybody's pockets, or is that only for DEF CON? Yeah, so so the first thing was no smartwatch, turn off the Bluetooth, turn off the Wi-Fi, <laughs> and make sure that you're not connected to a Stingray device with your cellular phone. But no, you know, it was uh, it was a great opportunity, Robin, not only to um, obviously represent the company uh, for which you and I work and, and that you and I both love, but to talk to uh, individuals who are in the cybersecurity space, both from the perspective of you know, end users, uh, management, analysts, um, venture capitalists even, and, and really talk a lot about not only our own vision of uh, a secure digital lifestyle, but kind of where things are going. So had great opportunity to do that in, in our booth. I also spent a lot of time on the floor speaking with, uh, with, with others who, who were exhibitors in the event. Uh, kind of sharing our vision in, in terms of what we're trying to bring to the market, even the competitors, Robin. I mean, you know, it's it's we've talked about this before, but it's very interesting in our business that there's also, uh, you know, in addition to this, um, this uh, let's call it coopetition, right? So we we cooperate in some ways, we we compete in other ways. Where my daughter calls it frenemies, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, it's it's very interesting that uh, we had those conversations, and then of course uh, RSA is well known for some amazing sessions. 
uh, got to get in on some amazing sessions and uh, and really dive deep. Uh, I, just a shout out real quick to our uh, to our own folks. Uh, we we did a presentation on living off the land and living off the cloud attacks. Wonderful presentation. Um, kind of one of those things that really makes you think as a cybersecurity practitioner. But I, I would say in summary, Robin, of all those things that, uh, that I took opportunity to do, there were really five key ideas that seemed like they were on everybody's mind. And I would love to share those with you, if I may. Oh, that sounds good. Five key. So on, let's start with, with number one. That's the logical place to start. So what was one of the, the biggest ideas that were on everybody's lips, minds, and hearts? This well, I, actually, if you're okay, I'm going to give them to you in reverse order, Robin, because in reverse I order. Oh, yes. I want to see if you, if you have that insight, and I have a feeling you do, right? Question, so, do, you, do you erase index at zero or one? Are we starting <laughs> at four and going down to zero? I mean... Well, that depends <laughs> if I'm little Indian or big Indian too, Robin. So we're, we're we're going to have to figure out our architecture, but you know, speaking of uh, you know of array beginnings and little endian, big endian, the number five thing that I saw that was on everybody's mind was IoT and OT, right? Mm -hmm. So with the Internet of Things and operational technology, you know, um, what really is obvious is that a lot of our industry, cybersecurity folks, have really kind of settled on the fact that IoT and OT, it's sort of it sort of is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, everybody is kind of saying, look, we, we really, you know, because again, the, the protocols can be, how should we say they can, sometimes they can be a little bit outdated. Uh, IOT and OT devices may not uh, be able to have those frequent updates that we might see in standard IT. Uh, mm -hmm. As well, a lot of times they're run by embedded systems on, on low uh, low power, low consumption hardware. And so the flexibility may not be there to continue to add these things. So what I saw was that almost everybody says, you know what, let's just put a perimeter around it. Let's mm -hmm. establish it. Uh, in fact, there was one individual who, uh, who I was speaking to about, uh, you know, some of the things you can do around establishing a perimeter, uh, whether hardware or software defined. And and they were even surprised. Oh, you mean I can still run Windows 7 in, in, in controlling my technology? And oh boy, you know, there, there was a, my, my heart sped up a little bit there. I thought, oh no, <laughs> that's, that's still happening in Windows XP and so forth. Uh, you know, there, there was maybe one or two, um, let's call them exhibitors who, who did have some interesting things to offer from an OT perspective, but really IOT, OT, everybody's just kind of said, okay, it is what it is. Let's just mm -hmm. establish a secure perimeter around it. And that'll give us the runway that we need to very slowly address uh, some of those security concerns. That just accepting necessary evils in many ways. I mean, that's true. That's <laughs> Last true. week I bought an LED floodlight for the garden because I wanted sometimes it to be green, sometimes it'd be blue. It hasn't that sure. hard to be lighting. And it said to change the color, you need to connect to Wi-Fi. So I thought, okay, let's connect it to my DMZ. Let's see what happens. And for some reason, this LED floodlight had an open SSH port and I can <laughs> jump straight into the terminal. It had a full version of OpenSUSE running on a floodlight. And I think, why? What is the right. logic of doing that? Right. And if this is just a floodlight, think of all of the other IoT, OT devices you have around your house of that can become an, well, an, another attack vector. So the industry has just accepted this digital noise as normality. And for many organizations, this is an attack surface they're not even aware that exists. That's right. So yeah. is the solution just 
perimetering and bordering or other other ways well I, I that's obviously the the easiest right it's the low-hanging fruit and that's that's why i say it really became and uh, you know saying it is what it is i really think until we get a lot wiser especially around operating technology we get a lot wiser around the protocols themselves mm -hmm. um I think that's that's really where we ultimately need to go. Uh, Robin, you did your due diligence, which, you know, uh, again, I think is fantastic because, uh, you know, anytime you have an LED light bulb and the brand says Mirai in it, I mean, that's <laughs> that should flag you right away that, that, that you shouldn't do that. But it, it's the truth, really. There's no um, there's no standardization on it. And unfortunately for the the unsavvy consumer, really perimeterizing is is kind of where you need to go. I mean, there's a there's a whole specialty around IoT and OT, as, as you and I both know. So, you mm -hmm. know, let's get that expertise to bear and 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 let's start, uh, you know, let's start developing in a way that literally from the outset of manufacturing is taking security into consideration. That's Indeed. that's where we need to go. And if you get into the situation of reality where you have you've gone to multi manufacturers, you have a whole bunch of IoT devices with varying levels of security having an easy to configure secure perimeter to every single edge with a sassy solution i would highly advise highly highly advise will just make the the pain not go away but it makes it easier to manage that's right because you will have people come to your office with a device they found off taobao or from ebay sure. or panda buy which is getting even more popular now sure. and you have no idea what code that's running what malware what hidden trojans there may be because Hey, it's always in the interest of some threat actor anywhere to mess with technology. Absolutely. So IoT and OT, what other things have you seen? Okay, what so other number four, this mm. one's almost a, a hobby of mine. I, I absolutely love this. Uh, um, quantum cryptography is really bugging everybody. Um, mm. uh, for, for those who haven't heard this terminology, what, what I saw a lot in the conversations uh, was reference to Y2Q. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, for those who who maybe weren't around <laughs> back then or aren't familiar with the terminology, obviously this is kind of spinning off of Y2K, year 2000, back in the day when we were concerned about the number of bits and bytes used to record the date. But Y2Q, um, you know, the 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 year that quantum cryptography comes to bear and is able to crack brute force uh, RSA uh, or the, uh, you know, the AES, uh, the advanced encryption standard. Uh, that is when Y2Q is. And it's it's kind of fun, Rob. And I, one thing I didn't actually know that, that I learned at the conference was that the Cloud Security Alliance uh, on their website has a countdown clock when they believe that those uh, those encryption standards that are so widely used for, I mean, gosh, for e-commerce, for online communication. I mean, the internet is mm -hmm. essentially RSA and AES. Um, they're counting down the time when they believe that that's going to crack, when Y2Q is going to take place. Any guesses, Robin, on how long you think the Cloud Security Alliance believes we have until quantum breaks those uh, those algorithms? At the moment, I would I'd probably guess like 18 months or stuff from now. That's oh, my wow. estimation. Well, you are a paid paranoid. Uh, the, the Cloud Security <laughs> Alliance is a little more generous. They they think it's just shy of seven years, seven uh, years. until mm. quantum is going to break our entire system. So uh, mm. not only is it on people's minds, but I'll tell you, I, if I recall correctly, I think it might have been around four exhibitors who uh, say that they have the answer to protecting you uh, from Y2Q. Now, listen, Robin. Um, 
take it with a grain of salt, right? Uh, being <laughs> being somebody who loves cryptography, um, dubious was probably the best word that would describe my response. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. when you start scratching the surface a little bit, you see that uh, you know we are in the dark, right? We're kind of we're mm -hmm. kind of guessing as to how this is going to manifest and when it's going to manifest. So we do things like trying to increase key spaces or increase entropy on mm -hmm. uh, pseudo random seeds and all these different pieces that are a part of cryptography. Uh, interesting thing is folks are trying to capitalize on that right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, the bottom line is yes. Quantum computing is a real thing, just as we're afraid about bad guys that are racing to crack all these things that have made our lives so easy, tongue planted firmly in cheek. Um, <laughs> but there's there are, there are good guys as well who who are also embracing this, and uh, and and you know it's a race at this point who's who's going to get to the line first. But uh, remember, there's a very 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 thin line between good guys and bad guys. You know, to right. quote Star Wars, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. You know, it's a very, very thin line. Interesting. But quantum That's going to be a lot of comments on this one. <laughs> oh, well, it's almost May the 4th. We're almost there. Oh, right, right. So, yeah, quantum cryptography combined with the ever-looming presence of AI leads to a bleak future, unless we, let, <laughs> we address this quite rapidly. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. So what was point number three? That was number three, no surprise, was MDR, managed detection oh. and response. But what, what was great, Robin? So, so obviously we understand that cybersecurity teams are stretched, to say the least. Mm -hmm. There is a huge talent gap in our industry. Um, I, I can't recall the, the latest numbers. I, I probably checked about six months ago. For those of you who can't tell from my accent, I do happen to live in the United States. And just in our country alone, the last time I looked, there was over 400,000 open positions for cybersecurity experts. I mean, massive, massive number. Um, so certainly a lot of managed detection and response offerings out there. People are talking about it. How is yours versus theirs and so forth. But the funniest thing, Robin, and this, this is the thing that, that really made me giggle. The more I talked to not only individuals looking for managed detection and response solutions for their organizations, but also some of the exhibitors who were offering those solutions, plastered everywhere was the word MITRE. Everywhere. MITRE, <laughs> MITRE, MITRE, right? And, you know, I, I found myself, just to, to be silly and invoke a meme here, I found myself literally asking, bro, do you even MITRE? Because it's interesting. Everybody's jumped on this bandwagon about MITRE and saying, we got it, we can do it. But do you really understand what place MITRE has? You know, MITRE has, the, the attack framework in MITRE has been around for 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, for, for uh, our viewers that don't know it, they just updated to version 13 on April 25th. So there's a new version with additional techniques and procedures with new threat actors. Uh, this is this is something that's constantly evolving, but it, it certainly seems that uh, that MITRE is the uh, the proverbial bell of the ball right now mm -hmm. when it comes to managed detection and response. And that's, they wanna talk about that. So what are your thoughts on MITRE, Robin? What, tell me, tell me how you feel about it, what you know about it, what you love, and are they just playing games? Oh, I'm, I'm seven certifications into MITRE so far. I'm trying to go for the, the full run, just like yourself, but I'm playing catch up. But <laughs> a lot of people are seeing it as almost flavor of the month, where yep. they think, oh, we love MITRE, we need it. But when you go to those practitioners and you say, okay, why do I need to care about what stage of the attack lifecycle this threat has been blocked at? Most people can't give you an answer apart from, yeah, we do it. 
And there seems to be a lot of presumed knowledge where people are posturing. Sure. They, they know that they can do it, but they can't discuss. It's like if you get a load of 16-year-old girls in Metallica t-shirts together and say, what's your favorite album? They'll just right. kind of all look awkwardly and ask, how did you get in here? But hey, right, right. that's just generally a way. <laughs> so by, and, I love your analogies, Robin. <laughs> MITRE is a framework, a framework that should be followed, but frameworks mean nothing if you don't understand the underlying data. That's so right. quite often you would try and map a whole load of different data sources onto the framework and you come out with a report, but so what? Well, how does that protect you? The That's framework right. itself is information. It's an informative way to progress. So if you're seeing everybody out there or the majority of vendors now pushing their MDR or XDR extended detection and response and trying to map that to frameworks like Otter or MITRE, then sure. That's great. And that's really important to have if you're aware of what it means to you and what it means to your organization. But if you have no idea of the importance of MITRE, then it might not be applicable. You might be learning something that doesn't benefit you in the overall security approach. Absolutely. If you've been a practitioner of security for several years, this might be second nature to you. But sure. if you are just coming into your security operations career, then I would advise everybody to do a little bit of reading because That's right. it's gaining traction. And MITRE Ingenuity, they are improving their framework pretty much all the time. So Without a doubt, without a doubt. I guess the, the warning that uh, if I were to issue one is if you are considering MITRE or that's being offered by, you know, uh, an organization to, to help increase your security posture, do the diligence. Make sure you understand what MITRE is. It is incredibly powerful, but it is a knowledge base. There is no MITRE magic wand that, that just instantly makes you more secure. Uh, mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful framework. Phenomenal knowledge base, but it is not the end-all, be-all. Uh, nothing substitutes good GRC policy. Mm -hmm. uh, that you know, All these things need to play together. Yeah, remember, the best security is to just turn everything off and unplug all your cables. That's the best security. Air cap. <laughs> so, number two. What was number yes, two? Yes, number two. List? No surprise to viewers of uh, of of our uh, our videos. The meat suit, the Ooh. human being, and and that encompasses things like endpoint protection and password mm -hmm. management and and storing secrets. Basically, number two mindshare was how do we help secure the human being in the equation as, as mm -hmm. probably the most open and vulnerable attack vector mm -hmm. when it comes to cybersecurity. And, you know, some great stuff that we looked at, you know, there was, uh, you know, when we look at endpoint protection, boy, Robin, there's no shortage of discussion and certainly no shortage of solutions uh, in the marketplace that are, are attempting to do that endpoint protection. Now, we would probably, you and I would make the argument that endpoint protection in and of itself is not sufficient. There needs to be shared context with the mm -hmm. rest of the security posture. We get that. Um, but things like password management, I mean, my goodness, we've seen some breaches uh, even very recently of some organizations that do password management that, that Robin, they had great big signs hung from the ceiling in the convention center. And boy, I'm looking at those and I'm thinking it eh, takes a lot of guts to, <laughs> to put that big sign up right now. <laughs> Uh, you know, when you've got users walking below that sign, grumbling and moaning that their passwords were exposed or their backups disappeared or whatnot. And then, you know, very interesting, some 
some discussion around uh, you know hardware platform management of of, uh, of shared secrets and storing those secrets in a secure enclave. So mm-hmm. yeah, the, the the meat suit, unsurprisingly, uh, a big big point of discussion. It's always going to be a big point of discussion, Robin. You can mm-hmm. never eliminate the human part of the equation, and and thank goodness, right? Because this does need to be about securing a, a digital lifestyle that we're trying to live to reap all the benefits from that digital mm-hmm. lifestyle and mitigate all the risks that that come with it. And this is why I believe security is the future for career safety with humans. <laughs> Networking is getting smarter. AI tools, machine learning tools, allowing you to do fabric recalculation, network reconvergence, and networks are easier to build. And security is also benefiting from all of these additional tools. That's right. However, there's still always going to be a human level of paranoia and oversight that's required. Otherwise, it's machines against machines. So as... Oh, people have asked me, Robin, should I get into networking? Should I get into security? Should I get into apps? I always push people towards the security element because Good. it is that human meat suit. It is that wall of flesh that will be your biggest savior and your biggest detractor when it That's comes right. to maintaining business operations and safety. Of course. And, and the annoying thing is no amount of education that we provide means you're 100% safe. That's right. I have seen people who are very tinfoil hat wearing paranoid levels of uh, security get credit card thefted or they've been breached or identity stolen because they forgot to shred a document and somebody was looking through their trash um now was i the person stealing their identity well i can either confirm nor deny but (laughs) it's still possible to sign people up for railway magazines if they don't want them that's right so yes the meat suit we all have a past, Robin. We all have a past <laughs> and we all have a future and the future makes it exciting. That's right. So, well, talking of the future, what ooh. do you suppose was the number one mindshare item at that conference? Oh, the number one mindshare. I would probably say um, hmm, hmm, VMware backups. I think. Uh, of course, you nailed course. it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was number one? Number one, of course, was chat GPT and artificial yes. intelligence. Of course. Unfortunately, right? it's the, the, the big bugbear out there at the moment. It which is. is. It is. Uh, you know, the, as you say, the, the flavor of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, I had opportunity to, to speak with some individuals who, who are kind of, uh, maybe you would say, luminaries. They're certainly doing a lot of education around artificial intelligence right now. And, and of course, we're in the cybersecurity field. We don't all necessarily agree on things. But what I do recall one individual saying uh, was that, boy, a long time ago, there was, there was something developed um, by, by a guy named Turing called the Turing test. Now, if, if you're not familiar with Turing and the work during World War II and the Enigma machine and all those things, boy, absolutely wonderful thing. Go study, go learn. It's, it's mm-hmm. part and parcel of, of cybersecurity. Uh, gets into cryptography, which I absolutely love. But the Turing test was that we could know that a, a machine, a system had developed artificial intelligence when the human being speaking with it could not distinguish it from another human being. Now, there are those who would argue that ChatGPT, that that AI, as we're calling it, it actually passes the Turing test. You know, I, I tend to disagree, and this was part of the discussion. I think what it actually proved is that the Turing test was an was a, a insufficient model 
mm-hmm. determine artificial intelligence. I think what happened is things like ChatGPT broke the Turing test. They mm-hmm. they aren't necessarily uh, artificial intelligence per se. Um, for those who have done any diving on ChatGPT, and Robin, you are, are certainly one of those individuals, I believe. Uh, we know that ChatGPT is it's a GAND, right? It's a generative. Mm-hmm adversarial network, which means you've got two components in this supposed AI. You've got a component that just generates a whole bunch of material, and then you've got uh, a classifier that basically argues with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the thing to remember, and, and, and where I hope folks calm down, is that simply recognizing keywords and generating probabilistic responses does not necessarily mean artificial intelligence. Now, that's not to say that what we're mm-hmm. seeing isn't powerful. I'm not sure. I don't want to violate any trademarks here. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, I've heard said, quote, Skynet is here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a great opportunity to be calm, to embrace the technology. We do understand that threat actors could use this technology into some very interesting effect. We've also seen where this technology is grossly subject to human weakness and even can exhibit biases because of the data with which it has been trained. So Mm. worrying that it's going to somehow escape its cage and digest the internet and, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Uh, Don't forget, right? We're, We're feeding a lot of this information and it is marvelous technology. It makes mistakes. Uh, just like it's human creators. But uh, this was a big one, Robin. It was a big mm-hmm. one. And I tell you, the folks that were most uh, most vehement about its evils were those who were involved in the education sector. Oh, my goodness. You've got students that are writing oh, yes. papers using chat GPT. What are we going to do about that? How do we detect that? So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was that was the biggie. That's what everybody was talking about. And it's understandable, you know, the education and training sector, people are panicking. You know, yes. I've, I've been an educational pre- professional for a little while and talking to peers in the industry, they are very, very scared at the level of content that comes out. Now, if you've looked at any AI generated content, you eventually pick up on the learning style and you can easily identify what is AI generated versus not. You know, I only have to spend five minutes on LinkedIn before I find GPT created posts and right. a simple AI copy detector. It's like, hang on, I know what you're doing here. That's but right. for people who are unaware, um, it's very easy to simulate an output. And I read one very scary news story about how somebody used an open GPT model and that GPT model actually ended up having to do a task, went to a website called TaskRabbit, impersonated somebody, and hired a human to do a job for the GPT output. Oh, and it got great. the information it needed back. And that's very feasible. It's very easy to do if you know how to do it. If you look at Meta's Llama model, a nice 65 terabyte model with lots of input. I'm not, I don't want to make this an AI episode. I could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> easy to do. <laughs> easy, easy to do. It's very simple to see how people could fear for their jobs, people how they could fear for the future. And honestly, the vast majority of admin jobs could be replaced by AI within the next year, realistically. The important thing to do is learn to work alongside it. When computers first were released, people saw it as a threat to their their, their livelihood. When mechanical engineering became a thing, back in the Industrial Revolution, people thought, oh no, that means the world is over. AI, machine learning, GANs, large language models, 
these are all tools that we need to learn to adopt and use. And if you look at Stable Diffusion, Mid Journey, if you look at the visual generations, if you look at tools like Runway ML to do video automatic creation, these are just another tools to add as your toolkit. And as security practitioners, your toolbox is already dang full. This is mm. going to be something else to just add to that to get you over. That's right. So it's both a blessing and a curse. Digital humanity. Yeah, <laughs> hey. Embrace it, let that. it elevate you. Right. Indeed. It's a great opportunity. Indeed. So it sounds like you had a fun week at RSA, and hopefully you'll have a fun week at the next conference you go to, wherever, whenever that may be. But remember, Bill, don't tell people where you are or what you're doing until you get back. That is the moral of the story. Indeed, indeed. So anyway, until next time, stay safe, be well, and always be <laughs> Good to see you, Robin. I'll stay down. <laughs>